page 459 in the blue Bibles under the seat in front of you. Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We are in the middle of our summer series through the Psalms, and we are on Psalm 26 today but we'll do roughly 10 chapters every summer, and so a total of 15 years. And we're going to have to pack in one extra psalm so that we don't go into the 16th year somewhere along the way. And, and we're still not sure what to do with Psalm 119, but we'll, we'll get there. This may actually be a little bit longer. But what a delight, what a delight to spend the summer in the psalms. Now, before we do, Ann and I last week were, got back from a vacation in Cannon Beach at the Conference Center. And that's a place that is very dear to my heart. I started going to that Conference Center back in, I think it was 1976, with my family. And so we would go year after year and hear uh, by speakers come and teach the Word of God, and the kids had their kids' programs. And so I went through the kids' programs, and, and it was a vacation with a, a purposeful vacation where we're actually getting the word of God but also getting a vacation so very very fond memories of that time and it was so dear that back in the 2021 my son my oldest son Nathan spent the summer working there on staff in their kids program and then this year 2023 my youngest son Daniel is there working at the conference center and for the last two weeks, our daughter Susie, who just turned 15, is working at the conference. And so we're, we're really well connected there. But one, another thing that I noticed, even though we're going and receiving all this Bible teaching, Ann and I have had some of our worst fights after vacation on the way home. And, and I'm embarrassed to say it's, it's been very consistent. It's almost like, like this year, I was saying, okay, what can we do so that we're not fighting on the way home? And Anne reminded me that we were driving two separate cars on the way home this, this year, so there was no issue. But, um, but I'm a sin Anne's a sinner. <laughs> so what can I say? So, but it's so easy to be upset with one another, isn't it? And, 
and what we really want is we, I, I, if you're like me, I don't like to be blamed. I don't like to be misunderstood. I don't like to be falsely accused. And, and that just, can, it just happens in a relationship. The closer you are, it, it just happens. And, and what we really want is we want to be vindicated. And vindicated, let me give you a definition. It just simply means to, to be cleared of all blame or suspicion. Ultimately, to be declared not guilty. And I think it was last year, and it had to do with family pictures and leaving. We were arguing on our way home from Cannon Beach. And we don't always argue. We have a great marriage, and we love each other. But I remember we were driving. We were going back and forth, and we were getting nowhere. And, and it just I, I was inspired in that moment to say, let's just not talk, and let's just pray. And for three hours... <laughs> We, and you know, you look back and it was such a, uh, such a small thing, but for three hours, we just kind of prayed and did our own thing. And then three hours later, we looked at each other because it was a nine hour drive or eight hour drive, looked at each other and said, man, it's, it's gone. All is well. And it wasn't just a sweep under the carpet, but it really was okay. And we had made it through another argument successfully. And we still loved each other even more this time. And, and so, but what do we do when we are falsely accused? What do we do when, when we're misunderstood? It's hard. I, I was reading a psychologist, and she said, or a psychotherapist, an unbelieving psychotherapist, and here's what she said. She said, she came to the conclusion of her article, and she just said, life isn't fair. And, you know, sometimes you can get to solutions. Sometimes you can clear your name. And sometimes you can, things line up well but other times they just don't and answers sometimes answers closure and vindication don't always come to us we have to somehow and here's her solution we have to somehow find it within ourselves so so sometimes we don't get the answers we're looking for and so what do you do just look inside and get them from yourself that is not helpful because we just don't have those resources. I don't. And, and I'm guessing you don't either. I don't think God intended us to. But he has all of those resources. And he is faithful and he is good. And in Psalm 26, we see David crying out. And, and I think this is, again, something all of us can understand. Old, young, we can all understand this idea of being misunderstood. Well, David understood it, and he understood it well. In Psalm 26, he was falsely accused. He knew he was innocent, and he shows us what to do. He gives us a model of what to do. And, and the title of this psalm is just simply a psalm of David. The Hebrew title is a psalm of David. And I think it's specifically written that way so that we would understand that this isn't just for one particular situation. This fits Whatever you're going through, this fits. Don't narrow it to one type of event. It describes all of us here this morning. But I do think this was talking about a very specific event for David. In, in 1 Samuel 24, he describes his relationship. Well, it's been going on at this time with King Saul. David had been pronounced king. Um, but he was waiting to take over the throne. Saul was jealous of him, and he was going after him. And Saul was going to kill him. 
And David hadn't done anything wrong. And in fact, he was loyal to Saul. He was faithful to him. But Saul continued to come after him to kill him. And it was getting close. At one point, he was coming around a mountain, and David was on the other side, about to be killed. And news came. Saul had to to leave to take care of a problem, and David was rescued. But then as soon as that problem was resolved, Saul was right back on the hunt, and David was cornered into a cave. And Saul went into that same cave to relieve himself. And I'm not sure what that looked like, but somehow David was able to sneak up while he was relieving himself and cut off a corner of his garment. And how you do that, I don't know. But he, he was able to stealthily get in there and cut off a corner of his garment. When Saul left the cave, David came out of the cave and just said, my Lord, the king, and called, Saul looked back and David bowed his head to the earth. And he said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of the men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? After whom the king of Israel has come out. You've come out. Who do you pursue? A dead dog. I'm a dead dog. I'm a flea and yet you're coming after me. Don't listen to those people. I'm not seeking your harm. And, and Saul turned in that moment, and he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you had repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. So David was seeking to vindicate himself with Saul, and it worked for about five minutes. Saul went back, and he was back on the hunt trying to kill David again. And so David has done what he can to vindicate himself. And, and that's not working. He has nowhere else to turn. So what does David do? And, and we'll look into Psalm 26 now. And I just have three points. David's appeal, David's defense, and David's hope. So first, David's appeal, it's a very simple one. Vindicate me, O Lord. It's not wordy. He's got problems. And they're big. They're life and death problems. And so his he simply says this, vindicate me, O Lord. You can just picture him stretched out on his face, weeping, and just saying, God, I got nowhere else to turn. Vindicate me. He's desperate. Verse 11 kind of continues that, and in, in, in what he's really saying in verse 11 is, redeem me and be gracious to me. So on the one hand, he's been falsely accused, and he knows it. It's not his fault. But on the other hand, he understands he needs something more than just to have his name cleared and to clear up this misunderstanding. He needs redemption. He needs God to be gracious to him. And he is crying out to the Lord in verse 1. Do you notice that God does his greatest work when we are down and out, when we are at rock bottom? That's when God does his most profound work. I would love to have him do his most profound work on the mountaintop, but usually when I'm on the mountaintop, I'm not really paying attention. And so God in his mercy brings us to the valley. And in the valley, there's nowhere else to look. And that's what's happening with David. He's at rock bottom. And this is not a unique situation. I mean, consider Jacob. Remember Jacob? Jacob was taken advantage of and abused by Laban for 14 years, actually more than 14 years. And, and now he flees Laban, barely gets away, 
and he's about to see Esau. And Esau was the one that he kind of wrangled the birthright from Esau. And so that's coming. So he's between a rock and a hard place. Someone pursuing him in the back. Esau is going to certainly want to kill him when he runs into him. And then in Genesis chapter 32, he's in the wilderness in between those two places. And it says he, the angel of the Lord came to him. And what did he do? He wrestled that angel and he wouldn't let go. He's at rock bottom. And he said, I won't let go until you bless me. And he held on to that angel all night long. And in the morning, he blessed him. It goes on. Second Chronicles. I was, Anne and I were looking at this with someone who was hurting this morning. And Jehoshaphat, he, he's a righteous king, but the Moabites, Ammonites, and Mayanites are coming, and they're going to crush him. They have no hope against this great horde. And, and Jehoshaphat goes before the Lord, and, and this is just a section. I wish you would read this whole chapter. He says, Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We're desperate. Think of Moses leaving Egypt with the, with the Israelites and the Egyptian army is coming. Desperate. Desperation leads to crying out to the Lord in powerful ways. And the Lord is near. So David's appeal David makes an appeal to God because he wants to be declared innocent, and he knows no human court can do this. David's appeal. Next, David's defense. David has gone to great measures to try to fix this on his own to no avail. So he brings his appeal before the judge. And, and notice the court language. There's, there's court language here. Look with me at verse 2. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. He knows he's going before a judge. And so he pulls out the, the court language and he gives two reasons for his vindications. Vindicate me. And he gives two reasons. Number one, look with me back at verse one. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord. So he says, vindicate me, for I have walked and I have trusted. He's pointing to two things, his walk and his trust. So first, I have walked in my integrity. This is David's defense. I have walked in my integrity. Now, at first glance, we might think he's saying, look, I'm perfect. Vindicate me. I have done no wrong. But we, and, and you remember in the New Testament, in Luke 18, there was the Pharisee and the publican, and the Pharisee says, I, it, it says, seeking to justify himself, he said, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. I don't do these things like that person does. And the Bible says he didn't go away justified. And the, and the publican said, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he went away justified. Well, at first glance, it almost looks like David is being kind of like the Pharisee. But he's not. He knows he's not perfect. In, in Psalm 14, he said, there is none who does good, not even one. Psalm 53, same thing by David's pen. Psalm 25, for your name's sake. This was just last week. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. So even though David 
believes he is innocent in this situation and he wants vindication from it, he knows he's not a sinner. So he's not saying, Lord, look at my life, I'm perfect. He's saying something else. But what is he saying? Look with me at verse 4 through 6, and then we'll read verse 9 through 10. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord. And then verse 9 through 10. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. David is not being proud. When he says, I walk, for I have walked in integrity, what he's saying is I'm really careful about who I hang out with, and I'm staying away from certain kinds of people. Because he understands what the Proverbs say, even though they hadn't been written yet, but he gets it. The Proverbs say, if you sum them up, they say what 1 Corinthians 15 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts or ruins good morals. If you hang with bad company, you will become like them. And David knows that. He knows that you become like the people you spend time with. So David says, I have walked in my integrity. What is that? I am very careful about who I spend time with. C.S. Lewis says this, many people have a very strong desire to meet celebrated or important people, including those whom they disapprove. But I am inclined to think a Christian would be wise to avoid where he decently can any meeting with people who are bullies or lascivious, cruel, dishonest, spiteful, and so forth. Not because we are too good for them. In a sense, we are not good enough. We are not good enough to cope with all the temptations, nor clever enough to cope with all the problems which an evening spent with in such society produces. Why are we careful about who we put our lot in with? Why are we careful about who we sit with? David was concerned about liars, hypocrites, the assembly of evildoers, sinners, and bloodthirsty men. Why would he be so concerned? Because he knows the influence, how easily influenced he is. And if you've watched your life, I'm sure you can chart times based on your company where your life became more and more righteous in your living and, and less and less. The people we hang out with really matter. And, and David sees that. And so David turns to Jesus and he said, or to the to the Lord, and he says, Vindicate me. And he says, For I have walked in integrity. What is he doing? He's recognizing how careful he has to be because of his own weaknesses. He's prone to wander. You know the song, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Do you do you? Do you feel that? Do you get that? I do. It's always just right around the corner. And David catches the, the intensity of the situation. And so he walks in integrity. He is really careful. Vindicate me, O Lord. Reason one, I have walked in my integrity. And 
I have trusted in the Lord. I have trusted in the Lord. Now, this isn't a blind faith, but it's a living, breathing trust in who God is. And this trust in God drove him to worship. David, because of his trust in the Lord, is driven to worship. Look with me back at 6 to 8. He says, I don't hang around these people, but I do. I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And then in verse 12, he says, in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. So David understands that he's not even safe alone. Like, get, get, move the bad influences away and you're left by yourself. David understands that he's not even safe by himself because his own self-talk isn't safe. He knows that it's not enough to move away from bad influence. He has to move toward the congregation of the Lord and the sanctuary. He knows that it's not enough to get away from people, he has to move toward worship and the worship of God's people. You can't even trust yourself. You know today that young people are, are leaving the church in their 20s, many who grew up in the church because they encounter lukewarm Christians with one foot in the world, eager to spend time with with, with people who really have nothing to do with God and, and aren't interested in seeking the Lord, aren't interested in worship. You know, kids who grow up in an environment where, where there's, there's a, a strong interest in the things of the world, many, many of those kids are just walking away from the faith in their 20s. And there are many who know the rules, and I'm speaking to kids now. You know the rules. You know the truths about who Jesus is. You can check all the boxes, but you haven't encountered the living Christ. David, he says, I have walked and I have trusted. Trust there means that there's a relationship. There's a strong relationship. And David is has gotten to the point where he can trust God for everything. If you live your life knowing about God and maybe even saying no to bad people and, and yes to church, you can say no and yes to all of that. But if you haven't come to a place where you trust the living God, it's not a matter of when you'll fall away or if you'll fall away. It's just a matter of when. You will fall away. We must encounter the living God, and David encounters him. David knows God, and he longs for the presence of God. In his presence is fullness of joy, as David has already written in Psalm 16. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You cannot follow him for very long without knowing him. But his arms are open wide for us to know him personally. So we need to be a people who are very careful about our influences. And those aren't just people. They're news. I mean, just think of the way news can influence you. If it's not influencing you toward productive, joyful action, if it's influencing you toward fear and anxiety, then that's the company of evildoers. 
And oftentimes we give ourselves to sources that turn us away from God without even knowing it. We have to be careful. We have to be careful about all sources, relationships, social media. We have to be careful about all the influences, the internet, our phones. You know, phones are a source of incredible evil. But again, we can't just say no. We say yes to the people of God and the worship of God. And ultimately, all of that will fall to the ground if we don't actually really, in the deepest level, trust God. Do you trust God this morning? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with this world we live in? Do I trust him? David is declaring that he trusts him. And he doesn't, it's not just any old trust. He says, I have trusted in the Lord. And, and how does he say it? I have trusted in the Lord. I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord. He's trusted deeply. So David's appeal to the Lord, David's defense, he has walked and he has trusted. And lastly, David's hope. Now this psalm, as many do, starts with gut-wrenching cry for vindication. Again, David, picture David stretched out, weeping, knowing he could be killed at any moment. That's how it starts. And, and granted, how long did it take him to write this? I'm, I'm going to guess an hour, maybe, or half an hour. I don't know how long it took him, but he sat down and he wrote this. He's in the middle of his problem, gut-wrenching sorrow. But then look how it ends with rock-solid assurance. Nothing has changed in his circumstances. But he starts with, vindicate me, O Lord. And then he finishes with verse 12. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. Do you see? He's, he's at peace. He's full of joy. He's confident. In all in the matter of about 30 minutes, he goes from anguish to peace and joy in such a short time. And his assurance comes in the midst of the storm, not after the dust has settled. If you're like me, I like to see solutions and then I'm peaceful. Anxious until I see solutions. But isn't this incredible? Do you know this is, this is for us right here? Do you know that in the midst of the storm, we can experience God's deliverance? even when our circumstances haven't changed at all. And that's what we see here. But how, how, how is David so sure that he could exclaim in a worshipful tone, I will bless the Lord? Where did this come from? And, and back to verse, I think it's verse two or three, he says, he says, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Why? For your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. The, the reason he could be at rest in the midst of the storm after crying out is that he reflected on the steadfast love of God. He trusted in the Lord. 
the steadfast love of the Lord. You know the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies will never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's what Lamentations say. And Lamentations were written by people who were in the midst of a great storm. They had just been conquered by Babylon and things were chaotic. And, and in the midst of that, they were able to say, and, and here's exactly what they said. They said, let me find it. They said, I just quoted it. I'll try to quote it again. Um, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This I have, have brought to mind, and therefore I will have hope that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So, so God, in our trouble and in our trials, is present to help. And that's David's hope. He's not hoping in himself. He's not hoping in his life and in who he is as a person. He's ultimately hoping in God. And so I just have brief application. Number one, do not despise hardships. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials because those trials are the very things that draw you close to the Lord. Are you counting it all joy? I've had to, to taste this this week because I'm feeling some pressures and, and, I, and I found myself thinking, am I going to put this into practice? Do, do I despise hardships? And I'll be frank with you, I do. I don't like hardships. I don't like trials. I don't like troubles. I came across this quote this week. At the beginning of the refining process, what if you asked the ore, say, would you like to be heated up to several thousand degrees until you melt and big chunks of slag float to the top? We'll be scraping the slag off and you'll, and of you and pouring you into ingots after that where you'll solidify into just the shape we need. Oh, and by the way, we're going to have to do this several more times to make you completely pure. I can imagine that the orb would say, you know what I think? I think I'll pass on that offer. I don't mind looking rocky and rough. It's kind of interesting and has a lot of variety. See, the problem with the ore, with all its imperfections, in the face of the furnace is that it's never seen the beautiful product that will come on the other side. God is doing an amazing work in our lives and through our lives, and it takes time, and it takes a lot of pressure, and it takes fire. But his work is being done. His work is sure to be done. In fact, the Bible says even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. The Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And his intention is to, is to conform us to the very image of Christ. And so I am one who am allergic to suffering. But suffering is the very thing that brings me to my knees to say, Oh God, have mercy. David is experiencing that pressure and God is doing a wonderful work. Don't despise hardships. Can you see them as from the loving hand of God who uses all things to draw us close to himself? So don't despise hardships. Number two, when it comes to seeking vindication, 
first of all, if you've been wronged, I'll, I'll just confess to you, I've been harboring some low-grade bitterness over about 10 years, and I know better than that. And, and I'm sure you have even better reasons, to, far better reasons to be bitter than I do, far better reasons. But there it's been in the back. It's always been there. And it just, it just kind of, it's, it's there. And I, and I pray about it from time to time. But I found this. I started, and, and I know Hebrews 12, it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness is like cancer. It destroys and many become defiled. It doesn't just affect you. It will affect those around you. And, and I've been experiencing this. But, but, you know, it says root of bitterness. Isn't it interesting how it starts small? Oh, Satan is so good. Small, and it just slowly grows. And here's what it's looked like in my life. It started with not bitterness, no. Righteous anger. I am in the right. Vindicate me, Lord. Look at what's happening, or look what happened. And, and it, it starts there. Vindicate me, Lord. But then, accusing others in my mind. It's so hard to shake. And I've just found that it's not going away. It's, it's, it's almost getting worse. And so, so th this week has been good for me to just, just say, God, this is not in the vindicate me camp. This is in the I need to repent camp. And, and that's what the Lord is doing in me. But maybe you've been wronged. And, and maybe, maybe that is turning into bitterness. Can you trust the Lord? Can you trust that God is faithful? He is faithful. He loves you. He knows and he sees and he feels. Do you think God understands what it's like to be misunderstood or to be mistreated? Was anybody more misunderstood or mistreated than Jesus himself when he came? Jesus was beaten, mocked, whipped, spit upon, fill in the blanks. And he was totally innocent. And yet he was willing to do that in our place for us. Now, you've been wronged. Can you with me right now look to the Savior, to this wonderful Savior, Remember the, par the, the parable of the unforgiving servant? What Jesus experienced at the cross is what our sins required. Now, whatever the sins are that other people have committed against us, and there's a scale. Some are, are worse than others. But can you just pause and say, look at how much I've sinned against God. Can I put this into perspective and can I forgive them because he's forgiven me? Can I no longer think of them with a, with a vengeance to see them destroyed? Can I, can I just, like that servant who was forgiven the great debt, not turn around and grab them for not paying me back, but can I just turn and say, wow, I was forgiven, I'm going to release that debt. Don't worry. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If, if justice is needed, it will be met out, either in this lifetime or in the lifetime to come. Justice will be served. You're not choosing to eliminate justice. 
you're just choosing to not let it have a hold on you anymore. And so if you've been wronged, again, just contemplate how much God has forgiven us and turn around and release this person or this thing or this event. Or what about if you've wronged other people? And maybe you're in the place where someone else is crying out right now, vindicate me, O Lord. And you're the one who has wronged them. What do you do there? You know, when we look at David further in the story, we find that his integrity came crashing down because he became just like the people he sought to avoid. He became a murderer. You know, he wanted to avoid bloodthirsty men. What did he do? He committed adultery with a guy's wife and then had him killed. He became bloodthirsty. The very thing he was trying to avoid. So what do you, what do, you do? What do you do if you've wronged others? I think like David, he turned to Jesus and he did say, he said, have mercy on me against you and against you only have I sinned. That was his response. Against you and you only have I sinned. Look to Jesus. If, if you can make it right with people, go make it right. To the best of your ability, go apologize. Make it right to the best of your ability. Leave your gift at the altar and go. But ultimately, look to Jesus. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus, then your past, your present, your future all forgiven sins you haven't even committed yet forgiven washed away once and for all as far as the east is from the west second corinthians 5 21 says for our sake he made god made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god so if you're here and you've sinned against others which is every single one of us we've ultimately sinned against god but God in Christ Jesus has made it right. And by putting your faith in Jesus, once again, I know I'm preaching to the, to the choir, but it's such a good reflection. Once again, we are clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at you, he sees redeemed saint, purified by the blood of Christ, and he is pleased. So look to Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 goes on and says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? And then it moves on to nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Turn to Christ today. If you are a believer, turn to Christ in thanksgiving. If you are not, turn to Christ and be saved. Right now, simply believe, Lord Jesus, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. So number, number one is don't despise hardship. Seek vindication, whether you've been wronged or you've wronged others. Look to Jesus. And then lastly, fellowship. Surround yourself with godly people. David got into trouble because he failed to do that. He, didn't, he wasn't where he was supposed to be, and he was by himself. Surround yourself. Don't trust you to yourself. Be around godly people. Seek fellowship. And one of the things, things we do here is we do community groups. And there is no perfect community group. 
but it's what draws people together to pray together, to seek the Lord together, be in a community group, and I want to beg you to sign up for discipleship groups. And, and I've heard this, well, I've already read that book. Please don't tell me that. Because the point of the discipleship groups is not just to read a good book one time and check the box and move on. The point is there are books that I've read over and over again and I benefit from every time I read them, especially in the fellowship with brothers and sisters. But read it again and then read it for the sake of learning how to help someone else go through it. We have some core books that we're going through. Don't just say, I've read it. But think about who you can take through that book. These are carefully picked. And we're making changes. This year in our, in our um, D groups, we're going to go through an actual Bible study. And we're going to do six chapters in Ephesians. And we're just going to study the Bible for those six weeks. That's going to be part of it. But please, sign up for a, a D group with the goal of, of enjoying it, benefiting from it, and then leading others through it. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for David. Lord, he was so imperfect, just like the rest of us. But he knew where to turn. He went straight to you. Lord, help us to do the same. Thank you that you are faithful, and thank you that everyone who looks to you, everyone who calls out to you is saved. Lord, you turn none away. Thank you, Lord, for being a God with the arms open wide. Come to me, you say. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Help us to come to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to...